0: Thank you to our partners, SalesLoft, LeadIQ, and Costello for helping us put this one on. Find all our upcoming events at jbarrows.com slash events. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows. we we'll make it happen Mondays. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I have a very interesting guest here um it's a little hurtful right now because i'm bringing him on my podcast as a bostonian he's a new yorker and he's been working with the yankees for the past fucking 14 years to help them beat up on us a little bit but i, I think he's got a lot of really cool shit to talk about as far as, as that experience is concerned and also just drive and passion and everything else so dana you want to introduce yourself to everybody here and talk
1: about sure. what you're up to these days yeah no absolutely so my name is coach dana cavalier and- Right now, I spend most of my time, you know, training athletes, helping them improve their overall performance. And I did the same thing for, you know, CEOs, executives and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that are dealing with the grind of entrepreneurship day in and day out. So it's a lot of fun. And there's so many similarities between sports and business. So that's actually how I got pulled into this. And uh, and it's it's quite enjoyable, too.
0: Love it because you were you were the actual director of strength and conditioning and performance for the Yankees for what fourteen years, give or take. Yeah.
1: yeah, so I, I oversaw everything having to do with the physical body. How do we get these guys faster? How do we get them stronger? How do we improve their bodies? Cut the fat off when we have to. Nutrition, anything related to energy, sleep, anything along along that that line. And then at the same time, you do a lot of mental conditioning and training as well. Just because you're dealing with players that are hurt, they're beat up, they're in slumps. And we have a great staff that handles that as well. But, you know, when you're working with a player's body, it's amazing how much they share. You know, it's it's a very personal connection, you know, when you get your hands all over these guys. And and it's really interesting what you learn. You know, I'm I'm the coach. I'm supposed to be doing all the teaching. Right. But it's amazing what you learn from, you know, just being around high performers day in and day out.
0: And that's kind of where I want to take this conversation, which is that 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 championship mentality, right? Like, there are certain people that I think just inherently have it. They yeah. they're The Derek Jeter's of the world, you know what I mean? Who are just like, as much as I hate the Yankees, like Derek Jeter is literally one of my favorite players of all time. And he, you know, he's got a lot of love here in Boston, too, because of his drive, because of his passion, because of his work ethic and everything else, right? Right but even 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 champions sometimes you know have that slump and, and go from there but can you like over the years of working with obviously very successful people both in business and in sports what are what are the characteristics the common characteristics that you see of people who are just like fucking yes, like that person is going to be successful. Even if, even if they aren't successful yet, you know it because they have those characteristics.
1: What are yeah. some of those things that you cost? You, you know what I found? It's honestly, it's very different than with what many people think. And, and I say that because so many people say, all right, they got to be that hustle grinder, 365-er. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, I work with a guy that's that's now building his fifth billion dollar company. Sure. I work with guys that, that are tr- truly incredible in the world of business. And the one thing I saw that was so similar between the guys in business and the players that were the most elite, they didn't have that mentality of like, you know, that gladiator type mentality. The gladiator was within them, but there wasn't what I call a lot of false hustle. You know, guys that are like to look at me and and see how hard I work. Like they didn't give a shit. If it was five o'clock and they had to leave, they were leaving. But they knew that they worked hard on the objectives that they needed to achieve between nine and five. And, you know, listen, I was brought up in sports and I was taught by my coaches, listen, if you're not the first one there and the last one to leave, you're basically going (laughs) to suck. And I've also seen that happen in business cultures. And what I find is as much as we want to see that effort out of our people in terms of they're here, they're working, I think we could all agree that we'd much rather see great results and we're okay if it's within less time. So many people are spending the time but where's the result? You know what I mean? So, yeah,
0: totally know what you mean. So you said something in there as far as the ones who know they got done what they were supposed to get done that day. So right. how much does like, goal setting come into this when it comes to you know business or athletes or anything like that? How, um, how do they set goals and, so, and hold themselves accountable for them?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We don't really goal set, right? What really? we do is we mission set. Okay. Okay. And we say like, like in the Bronx, it's easy, right? What do we want to do? Win a championship. Okay, well, what do we need to do every day in order to do that? And when we decide on what the actions are daily, we don't do different actions on Tuesday from Monday, from Thursday, from Friday. Every day you attack that plan. Consistent, 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 consistent. You're not out searching and, and grabbing this and grabbing that. And that's one thing that I saw amongst the best is they have a level of conviction and trust and belief within themselves And they're not always searching for what's next or what's best. They know what's best for them through trial and error in their younger years and as they were becoming the professional. If you're just starting out, you have to try different things and you have to have a very, very simple system that says works doesn't work, works doesn't work, and works doesn't work, but that can't be your 20-year career in terms of doing it with high frequency. As you go, your frequency should lessen. Like again, in this example, Derek Jeter, you know, we worked with him very differently at twenty-eight versus thirty-eight. Yeah. So we were looking for what's best for him, but early in his career it was about establishing what his habits were, what the process is, what it looks like. And and the most important guy to determine what those things are was him. Yeah. Derek, what is it that's working best for you? And we identify that and then we start to package it. And that becomes Your routine, and no two players had the same routine. Some guys before a game want to listen to Metallica. Other guys want to listen to John Mayer, and other guys want to lay on the floor like, and like a guy named Raul Avanes, and listen to nothing except his own breath. So there's no one-size-fits-all model, but you got to have a mission. And what are you setting out to do as a team, as an individual, and as an organization?
0: You know, we talk a lot about that as, as knowing your why. Like, what are you, you know, why are you doing what you do? Which is the ultimate kind of mission of of your your life, your career, your job, whatever it is. Uh, but I think that's an important just routine in general. How important is a routine huh. in general um, so, to be successful?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Routines come in all different sizes, colors, shapes. But the one thing I found is the commonality between each successful person is that they have some kind of routine where, again, their days aren't looking totally different day to day. Like when they – the fastest way to disrupt a successful player, this is what I would always say and what I do say, is that if you can interrupt their routine, they're dead. Yeah. So, for instance, and I'm using some sports analogies yeah. now. A guy like Jeep, he'd have on his locker, right, there'd be a monitor, like a computer monitor, and, you know, guys would have ESPN on it. They'd have all different stuff. He would always have the weather. He'd always be tracking clouds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if there was a rain delay, it would disrupt his routine. So this was a guy at 3 o'clock, you knew where he was. 340, you knew where he was. 410, 450, 7, you know what I mean? All the way till the game started and and until he was out the door at the end of the game. Everything was so structured and so planned that any disruption in that, it it interrupted him. And same thing again, we have a player named Mark Teixeira for a lot of years. And and he was was struggling. And I said, Tex, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to keep executing on my routine because I know that the hits will come. It's like you're a great salesperson, but you're just not closing deals. And I got a guy, a couple guys that I work with in finance on Wall Street. And if they're not closing deals... When private equity, they're 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 a mess. And yeah. I said, listen, don't abort your strategy. Don't abort your process. Sometimes that's the last thing to actually happen is the birth of the deal. Well, how do you how
0: do you figure out though that you know what if your process isn't a good one? What like when do you when do you adjust if you will? Because I totally get it. Like if if what you what got you to be successful. Okay. And you keep kind of doing that. And all of a sudden you're not for some reason. I do agree with, okay, stay the course, right? Just keep, keep doing it. You'll just be consistent with it. But, but for those people who are a little bit younger out there and really haven't figured out like total success yet, they put a routine in place. How do they identify the fact that this is probably, this is not a good routine or I need to change things up a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, at that point, uh, the guys that I'm referencing in terms of just sticking with the process these are people that are proven yeah the routine is already proven it's just they're sick and unfair expectations that they put on themselves they're not meeting you know it's it's guys with huge missions and huge um you know revenue targets but for somebody that's just starting out again there is a lot of that trial and error and if you are doing something that is not working for you what i say is you have to almost micromanage your routine. It's not saying the whole thing sucks, so let me get rid of the whole thing and start over on a rebuild. It's 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 tweaking this and tweaking that and tweaking this and things. So when you look at your routine as a whole, what I like to do is break it down into parts and say, working, not working, working, not working. Now, out of what's working, what's working great, and we move that to the top. What's working okay, we move that to the middle, and whatever's not working, we have to abandon. And when we abandon that, whatever slots we abandon gives us the opportunity now to try some new things. And those new things may work better than the other things that are on deck. And then you do the same system and the same process. So I like to assess and evaluate a process every quarter. So that way you're, you're on top of yourself. And another thing that I like to talk about a lot is tripwires. I call them tripwires. What are these things that are tripping you up with consistency? And it could be how you talk to yourself Yep. how you think about yourself, or just your overall work ethic, you know? I mean, sometimes we got to check ourselves, especially mm-hmm. social media land, and there's a million ways to distract ourselves today. Yeah. And there's always been, but, but today we got to be very cognizant and aware of where we're putting our time and our energy. And uh, I'm going to break it down like this real quick. I know yeah. I'm, on a, I'm on a ramble here, but... No, 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 keep going. I say there's two things, right? You have your IPAs, which are your income producing activities, yep. and then you have your EDAs, which are your energy draining activities. So the faster you can identify IPAs and EDAs, the better off you're going to be. And, and again, you got to be really honest with yourself. You know, like social media for me is an absolute EDA. Yeah. Like, well, you can make money on social media, you know, posting and generating. I have it. Social media is the sprinkles on my ice cream cone. Gotcha. On my ice cream or the cone. Nice. You know? So,
0: so, with that, you talk about the drive, right? Do you think drive is nature? Uh, how much? I mean, it's, it's both. Um, but nature versus nurture, right? Because one of the things I struggle with is I, for whatever reason, I have a pretty in- a strong internal motor right? Like whatever happened. And it's not because, you know, other people have it because they came up, you know, they struggled when they were growing up, you know, their parents didn't support them. They were homeless or whatever that was. And so that's kind of driven them to be like, now I grew up in a pretty normal house. Normal these days is, is yeah. a relative term, but, <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, a normal household, good parents supported me. But for some reason, I just have this work ethic that I, I don't mind. I actually enjoy working. I, I don't mind working 17 hour days, 18 hour type of thing but there's a lot of people out there that don't have that internal motor so first of all how much of Drive do you think is nature and nurture and second of all for those for those people that you've coached before or you've managed before that just don't seem to have that drive how do you pull it out of them
1: yeah so uh, I've never worked with somebody that's achieved success in business that doesn't have it within them yep so I'll put that out there yep in sports I've never seen a Hall of Fame player that doesn't have it either. Yep. So, But I've seen players that make it based on their talent, but it's like, they say you can have great talent, but if the great talent doesn't work, it's only talent, and it only lasts for so long. So I, I know a bunch of players like that, and and again, I, I, w- I always say this, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they can't contribute to the team or the organization. It's just if you're leading that person, you're going to go batshit crazy trying to get them to be something more like you, the leader. It's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean you should just say they're out. Unless their laziness or their lack of drive just totally doesn't fit in with the culture that you want or the culture that you're building. So if, if that's the case, then you have a very, very simple way to know if somebody belongs on your team or not. And, and I meet so many leaders of, of sales teams and just CEOs of companies. They tolerate people because they think that they have to right. or they feel that they could turn this person around. And honestly, people, Mike Musina, you know, always told me in the picture, he said, people, for the most part, they are what they are yeah if you give them a little bit of time, three to six months, you'll see who they are. We used to have a three we used to have a three to six month rule. In six months, a player will always show you who they are. and yeah. and that never really lets you down. And if someone's been a dog for your organization and an EDA to you, draining you, how am I going to get to this person? How can I motivate them? How can I inspire them? Yeah. It's honestly easier to cut them and let them go their own way. And you're actually helping them because they, chances are, they feel like they can't succeed in your organization anyway. So they come up with all these different excuses, and they're just there for the check. So you gotta have—I always say—in business, life, and sports, you have to have guts, and you gotta have nuts. <laughs> and and it's important that you have, bring that sort of air and energy as a leader. You know, yeah. I mean, or else people are gonna kind of, uh, you know, piss all over your yard, as I like to say. Totally. Yeah. yeah and, and so how do you approach,
0: like if you look at the the typical bell curve, right? The distribution of talent. I think this is true across the board. I think it's true across organizations. I think it's true across sports teams. Is there's the A's, B's, and C's, right? You got your probably top 10, 20% A's, you got your probably middle 50 to 60% B reps, and then you have your bottom 20 to 30 percent. How do you coach? Each, how do you, or how have you seen successful organizations coach each group? So, yeah. so let's start with the C players. Let's start with the ones who are just not, you know, they're maybe batting ninth in the order or something like that. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just yeah. saying they're not like your your number three, your number four hitter, right? Um, and and they're they might not have all the skills. You know, let's assume that now that they got to the majors, they at least have some sort of motor in them that 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 wants to be successful. How, what's your coaching approach to the different buckets there?
1: Yeah, so this is something I use that actually can, can span all three. This is my starting point. Okay. You have to be in a, in a mindset as a leader to identify strength, okay? Yep. Identify strength because the easiest thing to do is point out what somebody's not doing. Right. But if you can identify their strength, then that's followed by the question, are they in the right position? Mm. Because I think so many times we see people at the bottom of that curve, and it's just honestly, they're not in the right position, but they may have a quality that makes them an A player with that just that quality. Right. And so much, sometimes people are doing a job because they kind of fell into it. Maybe some of them don't have the confidence to get out of it, or maybe the organization is set up as more of a dictatorship than the leader actually thinks. And this person says, well, I'm, I'm secure here. I know what I have. You know, and then there's players that sit in a C level, that lower level, because, you know, at the same time, they don't know what the opportunities are for them within that organization, because sometimes they're not experiencing any success. They say, "Ah, I don't even know if I can get up to the next level. So there's all of these things that exist. But when it comes to those C players, I ask myself, what is their strength? What could they be really good at? And do I have a position available for those people? I if I don't, then I'm better off letting them go, yeah, and having that honest conversation um,
0: how much do you focus on strength like so because there's a whole philosophy out there of strengths versus weaknesses, whatever um you know, I'm always of the mindset of uh, focus on your strengths, minimize your weaknesses, right? Not not necessarily fix your weaknesses because your weaknesses are your weakness for a reason. You don't like doing them, yeah. so that's kind of where my head's at. But where, what have you seen, again, uh, champions and and successful people, how they approach strengths, their own strengths and weaknesses?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, here's here's the thing, right? All of the things that we're talking about, they don't discriminate based on the amount of capital you have. So sometimes I feel like these problems. It's like, well, we're a small company. That's why we have these talent problems. But oh, we're a mid-sized company. That's why we have these talent problems. But right. then you go to corporate behemoths right. that are really well funded. They have the same problems. Mm-hmm. So the other day, I'm having lunch with one of my coaching clients, and you know, he runs an eight billion dollar um, you know hedge fund. Yeah. And he's we're talking about the exact same things that we're mentioning here. And he's like you know what, the day I learned to stop focusing on my weaknesses and delegating them, yeah. my business went to another level. And, and this is kind of, we're conditioned to, to not focus on our strengths because we just take those for granted and we're more apt to focus on our weaknesses because our systems are built that way. They're built to make us the complete person. Right. But I don't know, I'm sure you've met some people that are really successful sometimes they're a little socially inept, Yeah, absolutely. Not one of their strengths, but they're brilliant. Yep. Some of them are so socially advanced that they're so good at hurting people and raising money. But when it comes to actually doing the processes that drive the business, they're terrible. Yeah. So they need a great operator next to them. Mm-hmm. So we, we hurt ourselves when we're trying to be a number four hitter and we're laying down bunts and stealing, trying to steal bases and move guys over, you know, like, well, we'll go if, if Dustin Pedroia tried to play like Big Papi in Boston, if Big Papi tried to play like Dustin Pedroia, uh, both are great players, but they're out of position and yeah. they're both going to fail.
0: Yeah. So, now, is How much of that is self-awareness versus coaching, right? So, yeah. uh, I, and, I, and I obviously I think this has to do with the stage of your career too, but how much of that is on us to understand as individuals what I'm good and bad at and how do I figure that out at an early age? And then how much of it is on a manager to kind of come to us and say, hey, here's where you're good, here's where you're not. Let's let's put you in a position to be successful.
1: Yeah, so my my whole position on coaching and when I coach people, it's really simple. I try to coach people to greater self-awareness. There you go. Yep. So, so if you can do that, you're getting people to identify things for themselves. Like you'll be amazed at people don't realize what they're actually saying. Yeah. Example, I'm sitting with someone the other day and he's complaining about his his team and his staff and they're not good at this and they're not good at that. And they say one thing and they do another. And I asked him the CEO of the company, I said, Hey, you know, that kind of sounds like you with this, you know, performance training program I have you on, mm-hmm. and you giving me the excuses over the past two weeks why you haven't actually been able to do it. Mm-hmm. So people aren't oftentimes aware of what they're saying because as leaders, sometimes they just say, I'm the leader, I'm, I'm perfect. Right, right. And like, right. well,
0: and how do you coach that? How do you I mean because self-awareness I think is, you know, I don't know if you follow Gary Vee, but you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, he talks a lot about that self-awareness stuff. Um, I believe in it. I think it's one of my biggest strengths. I, I definitely know what I'm good at and I definitely know what I'm not, and I and I tend to lean toward lean on my strengths here. Yeah. But how do you how do you actually coach
1: self-awareness? Yeah. Well, the first thing I do, honestly, and this scares the shit out of people that are uh the typical client that i work with like i work with the type a high horsepower you know go getter entrepreneur financier leader like they're crazy so you gotta slow them down (laughs) and i i'm big into horse racing i like to pull back on the horse and say hey if i gotta slow you down i want you to feel some of that stuff that you're really uncomfortable feeling i want you to have those real thoughts that aren't just about you being in high gear all the time. Like, I want to slow you down enough to just say, wait, how do I feel? And that was the number one question that I asked players when I work with them multiple times a day. Hey, man, how you doing? Mm -hmm. And I make them stop. Not good, and they're walking away. How you doing? I make them stop and actually think, wait, how am I doing? Mm. Because we get in such a conditioned mode of saying, I'm good.
0: You know
1: okay, busy, working hard, you know, grinding, right. one day at a time, you know, all these things. Yeah. And really it's like, well, how do we actually feel? Uh-huh. Well, that's that's what I, I'm always asking people. And I actually want them to, to actually have a, an awareness. What do you feel? What are you thinking? And it goes back to something we talked about earlier. You know, you said why, what's their why? Uh-huh. And I know that's a very commercialized thing right now, you know, that question. I ask people, how do you define winning for yourself? Oh. And, and you'll be amazed. Again, professional seasoned, can't even answer that question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that leads to a lot of that the problems. And it's also just, again, a lack of self-awareness. Like, What are you actually trying to do here? Because you may have players on your team that are already satisfied. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, you're not doing enough. You need to be more. But that person's satisfied. They just don't have the same goals as you, the rest of the members of the team and the company or organization. So uh, They're satisfied.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> so it's because, uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, it takes an open mind to be uh, to humbled, I guess, to uh, enough. And I, do, you, do you feel, do you think that there's a point where people do have to be humbled to a certain degree by an outside influence in order to be self-aware?
1: Um. I, I could say yes. I, I would say yes and no.
0: Okay.
1: You know, like sometimes there's people that just don't have, like if, if you get ready, if you're a leader and you fire them, they're completely blindsided. Yeah. Even though you had about eight meetings with them to talk about their performance or lack, lack of, right? So that person is completely gone. They're just not aware of what's happening around them. Okay? Yeah. And then you have the person that's obviously hyper aware of what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And they, that could be a problem, too. I mean, again, I'm working with some other people that they're forecasting, you know, being reprimanded by a boss and they're doing great work. They're playing the game to not be yelled at or not be reprimanded or not be scolded for poor performance. That's not the reason why you should be doing that. No. Got you know, it's like, well, if I don't hit my numbers, then it's like just go out and work and don't worry about that side of it.
0: Yeah, so so with that, like so for those, let's talk about coaching people out of a slump, right? So say you got your, you know, you got your one of your top performers or whatever, and look, we all hit it, you know what I mean? You get the yips in golf, you know, and, and baseball that type of stuff, uh, you know, sales. It feels like you know all your deals just either get pushed or don't close or whatever. Um, and it's and it's an emotional thing, right? I mean, for especially for winners, people who are constantly hitting their numbers, that you know go into a slump. What are some of the things that you've seen be successful with some of the you know really champion driven people that have, that that they've done, but also what we could potentially do as coaches and managers if you will to help people get out of slumps
1: yeah well, I'll start with this, right? just because you're losing doesn't mean you're a loser yeah some, like we'll start with that mm-hmm. see what happens is so many people they connect themselves personally to the result, and again, it's good to be passionate about what you're doing but listen we all know when we play the game of sales there's going to be deals that we think are guarantees and they're not they end up being a bust then there's that deal where you're like i don't even know this one probably has no chance and all of a sudden boom that's the one that comes comes up to the top But so we can't we just we can't also live for and based on the results we get so I, I always tell this story, right? I tell a story about Mariano Rivera. I'm, and as a kid, you know, I'm a young guy in high school at the time when he first came up to the big leagues and I'm trying to figure out who I am, what I'm about, you know, all those things that teenagers deal mm-hmm. with. Yeah. So I see this skinny Panamanian kid come up on the mound at Yankee Stadium, 1995, and he's throwing fire. And it's like amazing. Nobody's seen this guy before. And every year he got better, 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 and better. So This was back in about 2009. I'm at his house and I say, I'm stretching him in the off season in his basement. And I said, Mo, I got to ask you a question. I've been waiting since 1995 to ask you this question. He goes, what's that, buddy? And I said, "How how do you do it? Like, how do you do it? How do you go out there in these competitive situations and get it done? And he looks at me and he goes, buddy, I do three things. He goes, number one, I slow everything down. Number two, I quiet the noise. And number three, I throw one pitch at a time. he says see i don't let the externals and anything else stadium noise anything control my internal environment i don't let that control how i feel about myself i don't let my results control how i feel about myself and i said to him but what about the big moments like the world series or that big deal you know what about that Mm -hmm. and he says buddy every moment is the same we decide what's a big moment we decide what's a big deal and we decide what emotion and emotions we give life to. Nice. And when I when I when I heard that, it changed for me the whole way I go about my life and about my business. And I realized if I'm getting worked up, that's coach responding to an external problem. Yeah. And and when I look at people in business that are up and down, up and down, and their life is a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And they lack the trust and they lack really the belief in themselves in their process and everything in between. So it's it's a it's it's an interesting predicament to be in. But do you, is are there things that
0: like, you know, from like a motivational standpoint that that you give give people tools to help them get in the positive mindset you know I, and you know there's the tony robbins of the world change your state and that type of stuff but are there ways that that you have coached people to get rid of that internal mental noise because because it hits all of us you know what i mean like oh. self-doubt i mean i'm a pretty confident cat right but there's plenty of times where i'm like holy shit am i doing this right like is you know that type of stuff so are there things that you've done to to help people get in the right mindset and and out of that slot for instance, they- yeah.
1: So you know, something that I do is real. It's really simple, right? This is like a notepad that you know has become foreign to people these days because everything's digital. Okay. Yeah. Literally, like I write down. Like I, I have a list in, in my kitchen right now where I, I literally did this uh, over the weekend. I wrote down it, the five things that were like pulling on me, mm. and it turns out I was like, I could hammer this list out, and then it won't pull on me anymore. So so they call it the brain dump, whatever. Listen, yeah. sit down, think about what is it that's driving me crazy right now? You know, it's like your crazy list. Yeah. It, it could be I write down actual things that I have to do that, that are weighing on me. Mm-hmm. But I'll also write down in my, like, things that I'm saying to myself, like these themes. I call them even tripwires. What are the tripwires? What are the things that I keep tripping over? that that caused me doubt like you know and it could be anything you know it's like oh i got to do this and i have to get that done or i'm constantly whenever this topic comes up whenever the topic of money comes up i get crazy why is that you know what's causing that or how could i write down what could my my alternative response be so these are different things that that you can do and again everybody's going to respond differently but the best thing you can do is catch yourself And that's where the self-awareness comes in. That's where the slowing down comes in. Like, what are you telling yourself? We hear all the, we talk about all this chatter, but what's it actually saying? How do we decode the chatter?
0: Do you believe that you can talk yourself into a positive mindset, like just literally by talking yourself into it?
1: I coach myself most of the day. Yeah. Let's go, you're being lazy, come on. Yeah. And I, and I do, I get, I get, you know, it's not always verbal, Sure. like where other people could hear it, but it's like, yeah. Hey, come on, let's go. I, I have to keep my own pace up mm-hmm. throughout the day because listen, there's things that we just don't want to do. Right. You know, like I had to sit at the bank today and go over, like, how to get something done. And I'm like, I, I, I should be somewhere else. This sucks. Mm-hmm. I got to get out of here. So I changed that. And I say, listen, you got to get this done. And when you get it done, you know what? You don't have to come back here this right. is great and what else are you going to do later so we have to decode what our chatter is and what the noise is and then start to come up with alternatives to that and we can do it the more we do it the more we could be in the moment but listen we all know what our response is going to be when a deal falls through mm-hmm. right yep. i'm sure if you talk to anyone listening to the show hey when you last when your deals fall through what do you feel yep and that's something where we know it's predictable. It's such a predictable pattern. How do we break that pattern? And and language is so powerful. You know, language is really really important. Like I, you know, that's why I actually write. I like to write because it's therapeutic. Yep. Um,
0: so. So a couple more questions here. I'm, I'm always curious on this one. With all the successful athletes and business leaders you've been around, is The hate to lose versus love to win is that like what what do you find a trend in in really successful people whether they hate to lose or love to win? I'm just more curious than anything else.
1: Yeah, so that hate to lose mentality—that is the person that we're talking about that does not need external motivation at all. So I I work with a a bunch of guys in business, like I you know I live in the New York area. Yeah, they were born and raised in Brooklyn. Back when Brooklyn was a dump. It was Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, back when Brooklyn was Brooklyn, yeah and and what's interesting is these guys are motivated for life, yeah they they very successful, I mean the top one yeah. and, percent and what's interesting about them, they say they're they still have memories of Brooklyn, and they still fear having to go back to Brooklyn <laughs> and that and they' so people will say, I mean, well, you can't be motivated by fear, these guys are a hundred percent motivated by fear yeah and they use it as a positive right so they're not just scared and being you know you know cradled in the corner they're using that fear to That's drive right. them forward so it's mean, that chip in the shoulder bulldog you know underdog mentality
0: i mean i know you probably hate it but i think the best example of that is tom brady right like no yeah, matter how
1: Tom Brady fan and, and right? i'll tell you he, you're right man tom brady i tell people this when i speak love him or hate him at 43 years old in the NFL, he is an absolute underdog. every time. Every time.
0: In his head. Yeah, he, I think he still wears the 199 t-shirt. Like he literally still wears the t-shirt that, that says 199 on it because that's what he got drafted in. And yeah. that's, he's like, and he wakes up every day trying to prove why they made, everybody made a mistake. Yep. And I, I mean, the the story of him meeting Kraft for the first time and as this like noodle of a dude with, you know what I mean? Like yeah. not defined at all, like pick no 199. He meets Kraft in the hallway and he says, I'm going to be the best decision you've ever made in your life. Like, holy shit, right? Cool.
1: But when you say that, right, what is that showing?
0: Uh, showing confidence in the self.
1: Exactly. So, so that's the thing. You know, when, when I talk about sales, there's also some key things that you got to have, right? Confidence being one of them. Yep. Now, that's a big thing I like to talk about because, listen, some of us have situational confidence yep. where we're stronger in some situations and not in others. Some people have just no confidence at all. Mm -hmm. Other people have dangerously high confidence, but we want to kind of sit right in the middle to where we're confident in ourselves as people, who we are, not the salesperson, not the father, not the, you know, the wife, whatever. We're just confident in ourselves as somebody that roams the earth, right?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So I always say, what can we do? And this is what I do. This is what most of my coaching is about is what can we do to elevate your confidence and keep it there? If you're overweight, right, if you're that stereotypical, you know, you know, Callahan Auto Tommy boy salesperson, (laughs) and that's the way you look every day, that's not helping you gain your confidence, right? Right. So we got to get, I always say you build confidence through routines. You got to train when you, when you leave the gym, when you finish a good walk, if that's your mode of exercise, Mm. um, if you do some kind of activity, How do you feel about yourself? I don't know anyone that leaves the gym and feels worse about themselves. Yeah. (laughs) They feel great and they feel confident. And that's what we have to keep trying to think about. How can we gain our own confidence? How can we continue to build our own confidence?
0: Yeah, and there's a fine line there between ego and confidence, right? Like, uh, you know, and I actually think, or it's, it's the same thing with like the fine line, you know, I talk a lot in sales about, the, the difference between being direct with people and being rude with people, right? Yeah. There's a very fine line between being direct and being rude, but yeah. I think we all have to figure out what that is. And unfortunately, in order for us to figure out each of our own like directness, we have to cross into the rude barrier every once in a while so that we can get pushed back on it. Yeah. It's- with confidence, it's like, I, I see a lot of people who you know, project confidence, but really it's an ego and you can tell it's, it's weird. Like you can't put your exact finger on it, but when you see somebody with confidence, you're like, damn, right? When you see something with somebody with ego, you're like, Ugh. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, but it's that fine of a line. So is, does confidence come from like, because I think you can build confidence in your solution you know, you have confidence that you're, you're what you're selling is good and, and whatever. But that internal confidence, does that come with experience? Does that come with self-talk? Does that come with, what does that come with to build that internal
1: confidence in yourself? I think um, that it would come from a little bit of everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, we're all born, I believe, uh, you know, when you check our confidence meter at birth, I think we're all destined for a certain amount of it based on also our upbringing. You know if you grow up in a house where you're constantly getting battered down verbally or even physically your confidence may not be that great you know and if you grow up in a nurturing environment you may have you know confidence but no spine you know so it all depends it depends how how you're raised but you know confidence is one of those things that we can certainly obtain once again we're aware of what also strips us you know and i'll find too like if you know where you're vulnerable as a person you can double down on that and people enjoy that. Like people today, they want to do business with people that, you know, you've heard it a thousand times, no like and trust, yep. but they want to do, do business with stand up people. You yep. know, that, that stereotypical salesman of the 1980s and 90s, that bullshitting salesman. You know, we have a lot of them here in New York, you know, <laughs> yep. um, they're, they, they're very sexy in ways but they're also repulsive in others. Um, They have every technique. I mean, you see it a lot now online with a lot of the online marketers that are out there. It's seductive. But the question is, does it align with who you are? Mm -hmm. And we all are different people. Much like I said earlier, we all have different routines. You can be a great salesperson and be, you know, a little more flamboyant in your approach. And I could be a great salesperson and be much more reserved. And I... I've seen it across the board. and I. But but ultimately, the common thread, I think, amongst those that last is that they have character and they yeah. have good values. And they're not trying to beat you. They're trying to, to do a sell, but keeping their integrity intact and, and do the right thing for the customer. Yeah,
0: and you said something important there, which is their values. I actually encourage people to write down their values because I don't think enough people go through that exercise of what are my genuine core values here? Because what you can do with that is I always say, look, you and I could argue until we're blue in the face as long as we have core values, right? If you and I have a fundamental core value system that is aligned, then we can have debates, we can have arguments, we can do all that stuff. But when we're not aligned on core values, that's when it all, that's when it turns into yelling. That's when it turns into I'm right and you're wrong. And and I think that's where in business, as an, I think as individuals, what you should do when looking for jobs or looking for career, you know, that type of stuff is is first you got to be very solid on what your values are, and then go look for people and organizations and customers that share those values. Hundred percent,
1: right? So. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and it's kind of like you know us just having a little friendly banter, you know, Yankees Red Sox. Listen, we could both agree. That Derek Jeter is a great player because he embodies values and things that we value as uh, fans mm-hmm. you know, same thing I could say hey Dustin Pedroia is one of the best players I've ever seen and, and one of the most stand up guys I've ever met you know enemy in terms of team but like but we can honestly say those two guys are great players. Yeah,
0: that's it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because I I I don't think people have, you know the Boston New York uh, rivalry specifically uh, Yankees Red Sox um people see it as this visceral like hatred and whatever and and it's obviously dampened over the years since we've actually won a few but um you know we're not nearly as harsh and 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 as we used to be but um i remember being i remember going yankee stadium a couple of times and wearing my pedro jersey like in the shit like in 2004 2007 like you know And, and literally getting in screaming, like when, you know, the socks would hit one, I'd be up screaming, people would be throwing shit at me and the guy next to me would tell me to fuck off and all that other stuff. But then as soon as we sat down and like started paying attention to the game again, we would get into... Discussions about the details of the game and how so-and-so was doing. And, and there's, a he, there's always been a healthy respect between the two. A hatred, true, but a respect because of the love of the game, the education, right? I mean, I've, I've never gotten into more thoughtful, like knowledgeable discussions about baseball. And I'm not even a huge baseball fan than I have with Yankee fans. You know what I mean? Because like the understanding of the game, the appreciation for the game, and again, the core value of it, right? So I always found that pretty interesting with the rivalry it's like we fucking hate each other but
1: well there's common
0: ground and there's a respect level there that uh you yeah. can both walk away and say all right you know i won't kill you <laughs> <laughs> so hey um anything um anything you know you got the habits of a champion right um any other big big kind of like aha moments for you as, as you know as, as you've kind of written this book and and done your thing right is there anything that kind of struck you about holy shit i wasn't expecting that from habits
1: of champions yeah i mean you know the thing is you know we see these professional athletes oftentimes as like perfect people and they're perfect and they you know they don't have the same issues that you have you know as a salesperson or as a business person or as a you know a father whatever whatever your position is but it's very real they've just learned how to manage it better than the average because again they have tools. They have resources. They have professional coaches that are helping them along their journey day to day. And, and the one thing I learned is it's it's just amazing how these players in sport and business at that high level, they don't even try to do it alone.
0: Mm.
1: So they're accused of having huge egos. Yep. But like I remember as a young guy, I was like freaking 27 years old and Derek Cheeter walks in my weight room and says, what do we have today? And I'm like, what do we have today? I mean, yeah, obviously I, I have a plan for you, but right. how cool is that? That this guy yeah. just turns over the keys to the Ferrari that simply. it sure. says like, coach equals, yeah. tell me what to do so I can be great, you're great at what you do, and you'll put, transfer that onto me and help make me better. Mm-hmm. And, and he knew where he was great, yeah. right? So so it's important that we use the resources around us and, and if we try to do everything ourselves, we are so destined to fail. And so many people, again, if you're a young person in sales, you know, you should sit with the leadership of your sales group, you know, the manager, and talk to them. Don't be afraid to show where you're sucking, because we're gonna find out anyway. Yeah, exactly. So just be honest. Say listen, here's where I'm struggling. Do you have any advice for me? Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work, go back again. So so you have to be open to development. You have to realize, listen, I'm not that great. Like I'm not, I tell people all the time, you know, when it comes to like online stuff, I'm not that great, yep. but put me in a, in a room to, or let me train you and get you right or coach you, you're, you'll see where my excellence is. Definitely. You know, but, but too many of us, we try to do everything solo. Yes. And the best of the best, they—they're quarterbacker. They're quarterbacking, and they always have good coaching and people around them.
0: Well, they want to be coached i mean i had the best player i mean again tom brady i think the one of the josh mcdaniels the thing he said the, with this the most challenging thing like he's like i'm coaching tom brady i mean what he's literally the greatest player of all time and and he's asking me constantly how can i get better he wants to be coached yeah. and so it, it ups josh's game because he's like i gotta bring some new shit to the table for this guy because if not he's gonna go find another coach and right. You know what I mean? So I the the best players, the best sales reps I've ever come across, the best leaders, look for people like you, look for coaches to say, I gotta get better. I know I can't do this all on my own. I gotta delegate some shit here, but I also gotta figure out how to manage this more appropriately. So yeah,
1: exactly. And we all need someone to lean on in our journey, right? Especially when we have high expectations and we're we're those go-getters. You know, we're playing a sport. Again, I I call sales a sport, business a sport, where, I mean, there's a lot of losing that could go on and will go on. A
0: lot of losing.
1: Keep your spirits up. You know, it's put yourself around good people and realize, you know, that everything's a season and you'll overcome whatever's in front of you if you have the right coaching and you ask the right questions.
0: Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it, man. um, uh, How can people find out more information about you, about the book, about what you're doing these days? Tell them what's going
1: on. So the book Habits of a Champion is on Amazon and um, also at my website, DanaCavalier.com. I actually do, I do a daily blog. I call it Performance Leadership, where it's all about taking care of yourself physically, mentally, so you can be a better performer in sales and life and whatever it is you do. So DanaCavalier.com and and that's it, man. I keep it simple and I keep it real. Love it, man. I appreciate that. And I think
0: the audience does too here. So cool look um uh, appreciate you coming on man uh hopefully everybody enjoyed the conversation as much as i did and um look as i say to everybody you know if uh, if you do nothing else today but make somebody happy you know you had a good day there's too much bullshit going on out there so uh go make somebody smile today and, and that'll that'll make you have a good day so hopefully everybody enjoys the rest of the week go get it and let's make it happen thanks dan i appreciate it man